Welcome to the 85th episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with Novo Nordisk representatives, Dr. Todd Hobbs and Ken Inchowski. If you're new to the show, welcome and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer and I'm the co-founder of the Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. After a recent announcement from Novo Nordisk, I cleared my schedule to record this podcast because I want to be sure all of my diapeeps have the resources they need to stay safe and healthy. Dr. Hobbs, Chief Medical Officer for North America, and Ken, Senior Director of Corporate Communications, were kind enough to join the show. Before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, I chose to not feature a sponsor for this episode for various reasons and want to thank all past advertisers. If you're interested in getting involved, please contact the DDG's newest team member, Cynthia Selt, Director of Partnerships and Development. She is a past podcast guest, fellow T1D, and is helping <laughs> me keep my act together so I can put out more content. She's got a, <laughs> a pretty big job there. She can be reached anytime at Cynthia at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. So hit her up. Let's fill her inbox. Number two. There's nothing like sitting across from my podcast guest in person, but Zoom video will have to do for now. Head on over to the DDG YouTube channel to watch me interview my guests and be sure to subscribe. Number three, please click on the Amazon banner on the DDG website before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. Number four, I am putting out a Facebook and Instagram live feed each week sharing upcoming guests and exciting announcements. Your feedback is always welcome, so be sure to chime in if you have a question, thought, or idea. And finally, don't forget to love, like, share, and comment on all of the DDG social media platforms, sign up for the newsletter, leave an iTunes review, and subscribe again to the DDG YouTube channel. All right, enough rambling, guys. Let's get started. Okay. Um, thank you for asking, Ken. I uh, have, I mean, I work from home and have for the past year and a half, so it hasn't been too much of a stretch, but you know, my outing was happy hour with my friends or going to the grocery store. And so having that yeah. kind of taken sucks, but you know, I've, I've got plenty of insulin, thankfully, and all the supplies that I need, but, um, and I'm getting a lot more creative with cooking, which is great, I guess, but it's kind of exhausting. You're going to host your own edition of Chopped is what you're going to do, right? Yeah, I would totally do that. There's a couple of shows I'd, I'd like to be on, um, how to whip things together with the crap you've got in your fridge. So, but yeah. Um, what about you, Dr. Hobbs, Todd? Um, you have type one and I want to start with, you know, the listeners, I want to say the reason why we whipped together this episode so quickly is because Novo Nordis just announced a 90 day free supply of insulin yeah. And I am thankful enough to have a relationship with um, Team Nova Nordisk is what I call them. And so I reached out and wanted to hear exactly what that looks like. And we'll get into that here in a second. But I start each episode usually with who has diabetes and 
Todd has type one, and I'd like for you to, if you could share a little bit about your diagnosis story and your family. Yeah, so um, it's been 31 years, in fact, since I was diagnosed, but I was a little older than most. I was in college. Uh, I was a sophomore. I had the classic, um, I guess, viral GI bug, uh, and that probably triggered. Now we learn, we know a lot more about how that's triggering our immune system. Um, and was trying to study for finals and falling asleep and didn't really think about it much. So, you know, when you're in college, what do you do when you're tired is you drink Mountain Dew or, you know, <laughs> Dr. Pepper or something like that to stay awake to study. And that was obviously making it worse. And and I make the joke that I had an 8 a.m. botany class and I just thought it was really darn boring. And I would I was falling asleep and I'd never fallen asleep in class before. And I'm falling asleep in this botany class. And Thankfully, I know now that it's not just that it was boring, uh, but it was, yeah, I, I was having, uh, you know, my sugars were high and I had diabetes. And so I went home. I was very lucky, actually. So I went home uh, for Christmas break uh, in college. And, and part of that was I was going to go do a you know, couple weeks of a job in a warehouse and they do just a urine drug screen. And as part of the urine drug screen, they also just do a urinalysis. Just I guess they you know, threw it in with the urine drug screen. And I remember it was my family doctor and his nurse said, you know, or no, they, they, at the, at the little um, clinic where they were doing it, they said, do you have diabetes? And I said, no, I don't have diabetes. And I said, well, you need to go see your doctor right away because you know you four plus glucose. So I was lucky. I think I caught it um, obviously before I went into DKA or something like that. The interesting part for me, and I, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I was um, in Eastern Kentucky where I grew up. And family doctor we knew very well from church and, you know, knew their family and everything. He initially, even though he tested for antibodies, he still put me on an oral um, siphonuria, so not on insulin. Uh, which, Is that because of your age? I, I don't, you know, I, I just think he was overthinking it. I mean, I had all the, I'd lost weight, uh, you know, I was... Uh, you know, I was, my sugar wasn't dramatically high cause we caught it a little early. So it was, you know, in the three, two or three hundreds, it wasn't, you know, 700 or high, you know? Um, so I, I did that and, and, you know, learned everything about diabetes. Obviously I was even in the hospital for education, which we'd never do now because it's a different world, but I sat there in my bed, you know, feeling okay. And they came in to talk to me about, about diabetes and my diet and things. And then um, I went back to college and, and started reading and learning and, and thinking, this doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> so so I, I have some family members who are physicians and I chatted with them and they said, you probably need insulin. So probably the, one of the few times ever that I called up a, in Lexington, Kentucky, an endocrinology office and they said, why, why do you need to come in? And I said, I think I need to go on insulin. <laughs> so that probably doesn't, probably doesn't happen very often. Uh, so yeah, and then obviously that shaped my interest in diabetes uh, in my medical career and practice. And uh, you know, I had an all all diabetes focused uh, clinic in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And then my son, um, who was five at the time, was also diagnosed. Um, we caught it very early. You know, I did screening for my older boys for a while, and and you know, didn't see anything uh, abnormal. And then he, uh, right after Halloween, he had. Uh, had you know wet the bed because he was five and yeah. and uh, that was so we tested his finger stick and he was you know it's like 370 or something so we got him got him on uh insulin right away so yeah and that's uh now he's uh he's i think he's through the 
the rough part. You know, m- many of your listeners uh, out there either have been teenagers or have teenagers or no teenagers, but that 12 to 14 year old time period was just, you know, just really, he's not, he's a very nice guy, but just to get him to remember to, you know, to take his bolus and to do the things he needs to was, was challenging, but he's doing a lot, a really good job of self-management now. So I can't imagine my parent having that diabetes as well. Type one, my dad has type two, but, um, because you're, you don't want to hear from your parents anyway. And then if you're like, I'm sure the rebellious stage of, you know, dad, you don't know, you know, I don't want you to tell me what to do. So does he, is he defiant at all? Or no, he- not at all. And, and okay. you know, he, I think the neat thing is, is when we, when I first told him when he was five, I said, Carter, you know, come here, let me, let me stick your finger. And he, he didn't, he's never complained about the finger sticks. So that's, he's very even keel that way. I think just because he saw me do it um, all yeah. the time and it wasn't uh, foreign and unusual. Uh, he's real. No, it's not defiant. It, I, I kind of wish he would, be a little more defiant on some things. He, he's just, you know, oh darn, I forgot my bolus, you know, or whatever. And obviously now I'm in that stage of many parents where I'm trying not to hover too much, but I can yeah. look at his share and, you know, right. and I, I, I'm starting to let him kind of correct some things before I text him and see if he's doing all right or, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm just thinking that, you know, he's still got a two years or so before college. So trying to get some practice in there before we can, you know, start thinking about him going to college. Yeah. And he's the youngest of all your, you have five boys, right? I have six boys. So yeah, that's, we can do a whole podcast on that uh, by itself. It's very interesting. (laughs) Sell it to prime time. Probably Uh, I have twins who are almost nine. So uh, yeah, six boys altogether. That's crazy. Um, So what type of um, devices do you use? Are you on a pump? So, so I've been on a pump, um, since 1998, I was on a very early, you know, the Medtronic pumps and, um, and went, you know, been on pumps since that time. Um, I currently, I'm on a tandem. So, you know, I was one of the United Healthcare Insurance. Um, I was on Animus pump and enjoyed the Animus pump, uh, and, uh, paired with the Dexcom for, I've been on a Dexcom for quite a while as well. So now I'm on the tandem, uh, pump with the Dexcom sensor. So, um, I really, um, to go from the finger sticks, you know, going to Dexcom is, is such a nice, um, and especially not having to calibrate, you know, when I switched over, I remember thinking I felt uneasy that I should, yeah. I, for a little while I, I did some finger sticks just to make sure, is this real that I don't have to do these finger sticks? So, and I, and I know there are many of your listeners may not, um, have the Dexcom or still be doing a lot of finger sticks and I feel for you. So, you know, I know I don't want to trivialize that, but it, it is, it was a, a, a pretty neat um, uh, feeling and advantage to, to have that. So, yeah. And I, I have to remind myself how far we've come. I mean, that I think as someone who's had diabetes 31 years, I mean, we always want more and that's great. We need to push the science and Novo and we try to push for better better things. But at the same time, I think it's good to sort of reflect and, you know, think about where we've come from. And, you know, when I was in medical school, I was taking two shots a day of a, of a mix insulin. And well, I did the 70, 30, the mix, you know, so, and every day at 11 AM and then, you know, sometime in the evening I would, you know, predictably I would drop. So I'd have to be ready to go with sweets and check my sugar when I felt like I was dropping and that. And just to think back, it's kind of scary, you know, how far we've come. 
Oh, it's crazy. And I, I think that in addition to insulin therapy evolving, uh, the race for technology is incredible. Yeah. And for someone, which I rarely get to say that I've had diabetes longer than someone for 37 years now, mm-hmm. like, you know, I never tapped into technology until a couple of years ago and Dexcom, you know, I became a Dexcom warrior and it was crazy how just that one device has changed my diabetes management and overall quality of life. It's, I mean, it's insane. And I hope to see yeah. affordable, you know, everybody, everybody should have access to I think the change I've seen in the past two years in particular is the willingness and readiness of the different community, the different companies to communicate with each other's devices. And so this interconnectivity is really going to accelerate things uh, quite a bit. So um, yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's weird and exciting times for the diabetes community right now. And Ken, <laughs> you yeah. do not have diabetes. I don't, but um, I have, <laughs> you know, so my family, um, however, I'm half Latino. And so my family is actually uh, very, fairly high risk. Um, mm-hmm. My father's father died of a type two induced heart attack at the age of 47, wow. back in the 60s. And then my father has progressed and he has type two as well. And I'm the second oldest cousin of 50 some odd first cousins. So you can see it. Uh, my father is the f- oldest of eleven, and so you can see across the board. We there are pockets of of my family, extended family, who have diabetes. And so, you know, I'm I'm my sister and I. I have, I have one sibling. We are very aware of, of our diabetes history within our within our family. And so we're we're also trying to stay up to speed and watching our health. And also, she's got a young one. I've got three kids, older kids. So. You know, they continually are on me about my health, and I'm continually on them about their health as well. So, yeah, I, I think across the board, um, look, I've been in the diabetes community working at the ADA back in the 90s and at Nova Nordisk since 2010. I've seen it, and same as you. That I remember the progression of of sort of the this sort of golden age of new pills that came about for the type 2s. Mm-hmm. In, um, in the mid-90s, and then we've seen the progression of technology with insulin. And it is really interesting where we've come, but ultimately, uh, when I came back to, into diabetes in 2010, I called a buddy of mine who I worked with at the ADA, who actually works at Novo Nordisk too, and I said, hey, what's changed since, has anything gotten better? And he's like, Ken, when you and I worked at ADA, honestly, the, the seriousness of diabetes within the broader, broader society and the lack of seriousness that society takes uh, takes diabetes hasn't changed you know and, th- and from a policy perspective things hadn't changed that much relative to re- reimbursement and how people were able to get new treatments or mm-hmm. even to get preventative care you know uh, covered so you know there's a lot of stuff that's happening and the technology is great we just hopefully we can see you know certain policies just move things along faster well, and that's that's part of the question. So we'll dive into um, some of the things that I want to touch on. So let's just jump into the 90-day free supply. Like, what does that look like? And Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to also um, actually take a further another step back. So let's remember that on January 2nd of this year, we announced actually three new uh, options in addition to what we had already had. So we created a, a program called My $99 Insulin, basically mm-hmm. for, a, if you go to, well, I'll tell you how to get it in a second. For $99 through a cash program, you could either get three vials or two packs of pens of any of the Nova Nordisk insulins we sell within the United States. Um, we also offer a, what we call an unbranded biologic. At the time, we called it an authorized generic, and that is that, that we offer 
uh, a, a generic version, a biologic version of Novolog and Novolog Mix. And those are presently, those are 50% off the current list price. And then the third option, because we know there are times where people are sort of in this, in this sort of crisis moment when mm -hmm. they are either looking to try to switch insurance or they've lost their insurance or something's happened and they need insulin now. So we have an, an immediate supply option. And all those offerings are available on uh, NovoCare.com. What we announced a couple weeks ago was in light of COVID, um, we've had a patient assistance program since 2003 that if you're eligible and you get in, um, you can get free medicine for a year. And what we've done now is basically saying, look, we know, recognize today, I mean, just today, the day that we're doing this broadcast, 30 million Americans are now filing for unemployment, which yeah. in and of itself is crazy. Um, but recognizing the economics of the situation, you know, if you're going to lose your health insurance or your health insurance is going to change, your benefits are going to change, you're going to wind up on COBRA, which basically for everybody out there, if you, if COBRA is an extender of health benefits. So basically that means that an employer, if you're losing coverage in, or if you're losing um, uh, job status, but your extended benefits, COBRA status just basically means you're paying the premiums out of pocket, which is unaffordable for anybody. Say, anybody. Right? So if you're going to run into that economic situation, come to novacare.com, um, apply into the patient assistance program, and then for night, and then we'll we'll offer through you know once we look through the through your um, information, we'll provide 90 days um, free insulin. If you're running into a situation where you can't attest or you can't provide documentation around job loss or that the loss of benefits are there and you're still in a crisis, guess what? You're going to get an immediate supply of insulin while you're looking for that paperwork. And then what we're, going to, what we're asking is that if you're in the, midst, in the midst of those 90 days, we want to make sure that the health care that you want to get, you're still going to get. So we're hoping that people will apply for Medicaid because that's the, that's the lowest, low cost option for people mm -hmm. out there. And if you haven't gotten Medicaid or if you've been rejected by Medicaid, we'll cover you for the rest of the year. So that's good to know. I'd not heard that. Yeah. So, so we, so we, we have not only just been looking, I think that's an important point because some of the commentary I've seen online has been, Oh, it's 90 days. It's, that's not enough. Um, from what we're saying is that, look, you've, you've got 90 days because to, look for other, you know, look for where your next option is going to be. Mm -hmm. And Medicaid is most likely, if, if depending on your work situation, is probably going to be the next option for you. And if, you, if you've been denied Medicaid, we can, we'll still extend that offer to you. So that's, so that's what we've done for uh, launch, and we announced that on April, April 14th. And again, well, that's, that's one option. We have multiple options, like I mentioned, and what we launched in, uh, on January 2nd. And I think it's unfortunate and like I wear a, a number of different hats when it comes to advocacy. Um, you have a lot of people that are shaking their fists. Like, why didn't we do this? Why weren't these things in place two years ago and all these things? And you know, my, my thoughts on that is better late than never. And we're watching everybody change. And um, I'm just glad these options are available because we don't want to hear about somebody rationing their insulin or, or dying. And that's one of the reasons why I've been such so in your face about these things is because the resources are available. I've been in my 37 years in situations 
where I didn't have medical coverage and insurance and things like that. And so I used every single discount card. I fought with the pharmacy. I worked really hard to make sure that I had what I needed. And so with all of these resources available, I, we hopefully won't hear of all these stories anymore. And, um, and I applaud the insulin companies right now for, and the tech companies for what they're doing because it's going to make a world of difference. So with everything you're currently offering, um, will those, all of those things stay in place? The, the three options that I talked yeah. about earlier? Yeah, of course. I think there's, you know, we're, we recognize the fact that, you know, those options, those options are created because not every, there's no single solution for everybody. Right. You know, depending on your circumstances, uh, the Mind 99 option might be a good option for you, depending on what your health plan does with the, you know, the unbranded biologic, you know, the, uh, uh, the half price of uh, uh, Novolog, Novolog mix, uh, that might be an option for you. And obviously immediate supply, if you need it now, then it, because you're in a crisis, that's, that's obviously an option. And don't forget, we've had other options. Like I said, the patient assistance program has been around since 2003. Um, some people still about half a million Americans are using human insulin via the Walmart Reliant program and also through CVS and, and um, other national pharmacies. And, and so, and we've got copay cards. There are multiple options that are available because not everybody comes to this challenge, this issue, this crisis for them. I mean, for them personally, it's a crisis. Right. They don't come to it all the same way. Stories that we hear are horrible, but the thing is, is that there are multiple ways to be able to hopefully um, short circuit some of those, those challenges. You know, so if it's an immediate supply that's required, we've got that. If it's if you want looking for a cash program that works outside of insurance, we've got that for you as well. So I think that's it, we're trying to become more. Um, we're listening a lot. We did a listening tour with a number of uh, groups and individuals and organizations last year. Mm -hmm. We continue to listen online and on social, and just trying to figure out where all of this is going um, relative to where what patients and people with diabetes who are struggling, what they're struggling with, we want to make sure we can meet them wherever they're at. Right. And I want to say that too, in the Diabetes Daily Grind website and everything that I'm doing, we're about to um, overhaul the website and we will have a resources page that lists every single thing, every option, every um, organization, brand, something that's bringing better quality of life for people with diabetes. And it's crazy too, with being a part of so much social media, it's weird as hell. And, um, the, we're, we're taking care of each other. So if I have extra insulin and somebody needs it, or there's a kid in need or a parent that's struggling, it's, it's crazy that we are um, sharing those resources, whether, whatever that looks like. And it's unfortunate at the same time that I think that um, it may be against the law. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, I, 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 but I, I think part of that is, is, is about the fact that look, people, Right now, people are uh, wanting to believe in, in the industry to make sure that they know that the industry is on their side. And I can tell you, quite frankly, uh, we've been doing a lot of listening to understand what, you know, what's required for us to be able to help support people within the, system, the healthcare system that we have at present. That's, the, that's what we're working with right now. So, you know, and part of the challenge and part of the criticism that we've gotten in the past was, hey, we didn't even know where these programs are at. We don't even know how to find them. So now that we've, we've now 
um, consolidated all of these patient affordability programs onto one website called NovoCare.com. We have a phone bank, a dedicated phone call center that's 1-844-NOVO-4ME. And now what you'll see, and I'm sure many of your listeners and viewers are going to know, is that we're now advertising. You, can go, you will see us advertising NovoCare.com on connected TV, so you know Hulu or the connected yes. smart TVs. You'll see some, probably some billboards, what we call TV billboards, which is basically the, the last slate of a TV program like, you know, this news broadcast brought to you by blank. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see that. We're, gonna, we're on digital radio, so iHeartRadio and other places. Yeah. We're, we're, trying to, we're taking the word out to people out there to make sure that they understand that these offers are there. They're, the offers are there, and they're actually easy to access. It probably takes two clicks, three clicks, to get my 99 insulin card. That's all. And I haven't looked into that one in particular. Um, I went into the 90 day free supply and I, I, and I spoke with somebody else from Nova Nordisk about this. The, and I'm no criticism because I'm glad that it's there. This is just a comment in that you have to print something out. You have to fill it out. Then that has to be sent to your doctor. Well, you know, I think about the person who maybe doesn't have a printer. We can't go to a public library to print something out. And I'm sure that if they were to call the hotline, your team would be able to walk them through what, what they need to do next. Absolutely. So you got to have, you, we, that's why we have multiple options. So it's not just the only option is to call a call center, you know, but, but you're right. I mean, that in some ways, you know, we're, we're also bound by the strictures of what's required to be able to maintain some of those programs. Right. So, you know, to, again, for any of these programs that I mentioned, there's also one very common, strong common denominator. They all require prescription. So yeah. that means a doctor has to be involved. And so, you know, from a, so the healthcare system in and of itself still relies on a paper, yeah. paper, paper documentation that, you know, there is no real easy way to connect process like this within an EMR that then goes to uh, allow someone to do an electronic signature and to send it back. So there are, so are there a number of challenges that we have relative to that. But I mean, well, let me ask you, if somebody's in serious need, and I don't know the legalities of this, and if you can't answer to it, speak to it, no worries. If somebody, let's just say, doesn't have an endocrinologist or a regular GP and they go to the ER, can an ER physician write a prescription for insulin? Sure. Uh, Sure. Yeah. Any, any physician could write insulin. Absolutely. Uh, and they, they do that quite often and, or they give them a vial from their, their stock there happens sometimes, but. Which is uh, usually no. a, like an NPH or regular. It's not going to be. A lot of the hospitals would have um, Novolog, probably not long acting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but no, that, I mean, yeah, many hospitals carry it. It's just their own internal policies as to would they release it or not. But um, absolutely uh, an ER physician. I mean, you're going to have to deal with, um, yeah, with, uh, are you going to get charged an ER visit and all that stuff? But, but any physician that has an active license could prescribe, yeah, it doesn't have to be their, you know, endocrinologist or their PCP. Yeah. Well, and there's also Kevin's law, which I know is you can have, you can, I think it's a 30 day if your um, prescription is expired and you're in need that the um, pharmacies, I'm not going to say have to, but can fill um, if you already have that prescription on file. So hopefully nobody has to need any of that, but just to make sure that it's out there. Um, ultimately, we, ultimately, you know, our message is we want to help. Yeah. And if you, and if you need help, come to NovaCare.com or call us at 1-844-NOVA-4ME. And, and it's really easy. It's really simple to have a conversation with us. 
right. to figure out what your, what your situation is and they're going to point you in the right direction. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So I want to go into, there's a question and then we'll get into, because I want to talk about, it's fascinating to me to learn about all the new insulin therapies that are out there. And I think for the average person, when you go to your GP or your endo, you do it, you know, you're, you're not going to question them on what insulin they prescribe. Um, at least I haven't at, well, until I started Traceba. But um, so we'll talk about what's out there for people so that you can do your own research and figure out what you want to maybe try. And then this is a question that I got on Twitter. Why are insulin therapies treated like benefit required shifts between insurance providers in the USA? There is a difference in efficacy. I hope I say that correctly. Um, why are T1D patients forced to change insulin based on insurance contracts? Yeah, and I'll, I'll take a, a, a stab at that and, and Ken can fill in too. But this is the one, one of the things that we, um, we do not support, obviously. Uh, we at Nova Nordisk, and, and I think most of the other insulin manufacturers agree that we would prefer there to be the doctor-patient decision-making and choice as to what therapy that, that they feel is best. So we definitely are, are opposed to this. And it's, we term it, and others have termed it, non-medical switching basically. And, you know, there's some, um, there's some uh, discussion around, you know, is it actually appropriate or not for, you know, these are not physicians necessarily. This is your benefit plan that is is basically making a change in your Mm -hmm. therapy, which, you know, shouldn't technically be allowed. But the reason it exists is, um, is, you know, to have formulary coverage. So for, you know, one of the major, and there really are only three to four major um, PBMs or pharmacy benefit managers in the U.S. that cover the majority of, of Americans. For us to have millions of those patients on those on those plans have access to our product, we have to do the rebating. So we have to, you know, that's why the list price, and we don't necessarily want to get into that uh, today, but that's where we have to pay the rebate to the, the PBM. If we don't, uh, or we don't pay, you know, the, the significant amount, then we're not on the formulary. So none of those millions of patients would have ability to get our insulin. Well, as you can imagine, as they cycle through their uh, annual review of, of um, diabetes products and medications and, and including insulin, this is one place where they really continue to, to um, hone in and, and make it very competitive between the three large uh, manufacturers. And so if uh, the rebates don't go to where they want, they say, well, you, you don't have the formulary coverage this year. We're going to go to the other product. Uh, and that means, unfortunately, for patients that when they go to their pharmacy in January, they may face uh, having to pick up a new insulin that's not what they or their physician or their HCP has uh, has wanted them to be on or agreed that is the best for them. So, right. yeah. Yeah, I think, I think there's just a, the, the, this is a broader issue of contracting. And and there are a lot of there are a lot of things that come into play in relation to that. There's certainly um, what what we do from a, a cost perspective. There's also they're looking at their members and say, and they're hearing from the members of what they want. So it gets really complicated, and it's unfortunate because this is you as you talk about this, Amber. I mean, we see this switch. We can see this fairly consistently, and I'm sure from a from someone who's out there going from going up in January and saying, I just got used to this and I'm going moving on to something else. It almost feels like you're in a, you're, you're the tennis ball going back and forth yeah. between. And Amber, I, I want to add on to something you said um, that Ken triggered my thought is that yeah. um, 
there are many patients, including myself and, and others that we know that you hear about every day, I'm sure, where there is a difference between the products or they have been on one of the other short actings and, uh, you know, and, the, and they're doing better on the one they're on now or same thing with the long actings in particular. However, the pharmacy, the, 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 um, the pharmacy benefit managers, they see them as interchangeable. So that is one key difference in, in you know, you and your physician and, and individual patients versus uh, how they view these insulins. So they, they view them as interchangeable, that there are no differences. So the first step, and it's not always easy, I'd love to tell you it was easier, if there's a, a legitimate reason why you're on a specific brand, either it's our brand or another, another company's brand, that you, you know, it's better for you or you have a reason, you should challenge that and you should try to get an exception or write, you know, and do what you need to get your doctor, if they will, to help. That's the first step. I know it's not always successful, so that's uh, unfortunate, but that would be the initial first step because there may be a reason that you can easily or at least show to the, to the payer to say, no, I, I have been on this other product or there's a reason why this one's better um, because they do view them as interchangeable. And I, as a, as a clinician, you know, in my past treating patients, I know that they're not always interchangeable. So, yeah, and that just as an advocate makes me think where my fight, you know, where I need to go from here, you know, to to change those things because we shouldn't have we shouldn't have to switch insulins if we don't want to, especially when this is the best therapy for us. And so, I want to go into a little bit about um, new insulin therapies. And as I mentioned earlier, and I'm going to say this out loud, nobody's paying me to say these things. I'm just talking from real life diabetes here is that I switched to Traceba and had a horrible experience in the beginning, but I wasn't given proper instruction from my endo at the time, who was no longer my endo. Um, I went back to it and have, it has changed my life. I mean, it has absolutely changed my life, especially when it comes to nighttime lows. I was on Lantus before and it did a great job in the years that I, I took that, but I also didn't realize that the injections were painful and it was because of the insulin. And so with that being said, I want to learn more. I want to share more about Traceba, but I also want to talk about the fact that it's my understanding that Traceba can stay within the system for, I think, 18 hours. Um, no, quite longer. <laughs> quite longer. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I don't understand insulin stacking and all of that. And maybe you can speak to that. But the, my question is, I give the same Traceba shot every single day at the same time because I'm so structured. Yeah. Why don't That's I just okay. take it every two days? You know what I mean? Or Yeah. Yeah. So, so a couple things and, you know, and, and I don't, I, I'll try to be as succinct as I can, but so Traceba, the way it works uh, is different than other um, insulin products, uh, long acting insulin products, basically when it's injected and, and we like to call it like strands on a, you know, on a pearl, like how you picture yeah. a pearl necklace, but the way it works is it forms these very, very long chains of, of insulin that are connected in a way that, only the very end of this strand as those single insulin molecules come off is, is able to go work and lower the glucose. And because of that, um, there is the stacking is not seen. Um, stacking is really the phenomenon you see with short acting where you, you know, you take a bolus and yeah. your sugar is not coming down like you want it to. And you take another one, you know, within a shorter range, then you can see that stacking. But because of the way this works, um, you really see that you know it can only work in a very slow and sort of methodical fashion once it once it's in your in your body, especially 
once you've taken more than two or three doses, you know, two or three days worth, right. then you get into what we call steady state. So that that's a really good thing, but it is in your system for 40, 40 plus hours um, measurable. Now you got to the point about every other day dosing, you know, believe it or not, we actually studied that uh, years ago before Traceba was uh, submitted for approval. And it, while it may be okay in some type two patients, we know type one patients, you know, we ju it just doesn't hang around long enough to right. that second day to keep your glucose under control. So the beauty of it is though, is it does have the ability and it's in the label that if, if you decide tonight that you don't want to take it at the regular time and you for, or you forget, let's say for whatever reason, and you wake up in the morning and take it within that window, um, you, you shouldn't notice any difference whatsoever. So, you know, we, we want to encourage patients to try to remember to always take it at the same time because it's just you, so you don't forget. But if you do miss by a couple hours or even half day, um, it's, it's okay. And that's the beauty of this long acting uh, mechanism. I have to share one little weird tip. So I get up at 632 every morning to give my Traceva shot. It's like clockwork. I get up, I, I shoot up, and then I go back to bed. I'm, I like to sleep. Okay. And, and, but the funny thing is, is I was like, what if I forget? Or what if I give it twice? So I leave the pen needle on my windowsill so that every, when I actually am up and, you know, get some caffeine in my body or whatever, I see that and I'm like, oh. I gave him a shot. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It's ridiculous. It's kind of like sleepwalking. Every, I think every type one patient probably can give you some sort of little um, thing they do that's, you know, unique to them. And that's, <laughs> you know, it's kind of ridiculous, but okay. So I want to go because I have been talking and I just interviewed a, a gentleman who was a part of an insulin therapy trial. It was very intense. I've been a part of one myself. Um, how do you guys participate or fund and I'm saying this is do our insulin dollars, what we pay for, does that go into um, new trials? Yeah. So, so certainly our, our revenue uh, and, and that that's how we fund our, our research, our R and D budget. And, um, and we actually are ramping up and, and I'm, I'm not sure that this has been formally announced yet, but it will soon. And we were going to in, only increase that amount, that percentage of our, our revenue that we invest in R and D. So we are, continuing to invest in, you know, type two is obviously the, the majority of the patients out there, right. but there still is significant investment in type one. Um, we have, you know, long acting weekly insulin products. We've got glucose sensitive insulin products uh, way further on in the pipeline back. We've got um, stem cell therapy for type one uh, that we're really, that's moving pretty, pretty darn fast. Uh, so, but we do, yeah, we do fund our R and D through our through our revenue. So absolutely, and not not necessarily. You in our, in your email to us, you mentioned the foundation, and they don't directly fund our diabetes research. It comes from the Novo Nordisk um, uh, revenue. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know what R and D is, that's research and development. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, no worries. <laughs> um, took me a while to learn all these terms. Um, what else do we have? Uh, tell me about. Because, and I am thankful to work with so many hospitals, and I'll announce all that later, but um, in the next episode or whatever. But I am trying to make sure that physicians, endos, everybody knows what's going on in the diabetes world, whether that's tech, you know, all the technology advancements, because let's be honest, they can't keep up. There's so much going on. And with so many people being diagnosed with type 1 or type 2 in the GP, you know, they, they're not going to have all the knowledge and what insulins are out there. So, can you share a little bit about what insulin therapies 
Novo currently offers and maybe what your trials and what's going on right now? Yeah, so um, that's a lot in one uh, in one. <laughs> Yeah, three question. minutes. Go. No, I mean, so from short acting perspective, we obviously have Novolog, which has been around um, for quite some time, you know, since the 1990s. And we have FIAS, which has been around now for two years, which is um, does offer more um, control for the postprandial, the meal, sorry, the, the post meal uh, glucose. So those are our two short acting um, uh, non human insulins. And we still make, as Ken alluded to, um, regular human insulin. Uh, that's available, you know, through Walmart and, and CVS and other places that has the shorter or the, the longer uh, profile than the, than the Novolog and Fiasp. And then from the long acting perspective, we have um, Levomir, which has been around now for, gosh, um, 10, 10 years or more, 12 years, I think. Um, you didn't tell me you needed these numbers. I would have looked up exactly the dates. But And then, as you mentioned, uh, Traceba, which is our uh, our once daily uh, basal insulin, in addition to the MPH human insulin that that would go along with our regular human insulin. So uh, we then we have um, just for completeness, we have the mixture. You know, so we have the human seventy thirty mixture of the MPH and R, and we have the uh, the analog. You know, seventy thirty uh, that has Novolog in there as the rapid uh, as a mixture. So. Um, and then we, lastly, we have Zoltify, which is not all insulin. It's, um, it's Traceba along with Victoza. Uh, so it's, or Liraglutide. So, uh, Zoltify is for, um, is for type two patients. So it's a once daily injection that has both of those, um, both of those products in there. And I, I don't know that you can, and I, I don't know that you can speak to this and it's okay if you can't, um, the number of people with type two, obviously, exceeds those of us with type one, but we're seeing now more insulin therapy being prescribed for type two. And I, I'm sure that will continue because it's in my mind, better quality of life. And I'm sorry that people have to start giving injections, but do you know like how the percentage of how quickly that's increasing for? Yeah. So it's an interesting question, Amber. And what I'll say is that I can't give you exact numbers, but, and it, it depends on the type of insulin. So, and yes, uh, we are seeing more, type two patients need insulin, but some of that is due to the fact that type two is growing so rapidly. So obviously more patients in general that have type two and they're not necessarily going to bolus insulin as fast as they were in the past. So some of the newer type two therapies like um, uh, Ozempic that we manufacture and Rebelsis, the GLP-1 agents, SGLT2 therapies, uh, those, those therapies are doing a pretty good job with controlling the meal, the meal glucose uh, mm -hmm. rise. And so um, what we're seeing is that many type two patients are not progressing to need meal insulin uh, as fast as they used to. Uh, with that said, yes, many of them are, you know, we, we get numbers between 30 and 40% of type two patients are on some sort of insulin, if not a little higher. Uh, so, you know, there is a big need for that. So what I thought you were going to say, and I don't know if you've covered this on another podcast, is that you know, we are, you know, we talk about the, the explosion of type 2 diabetes, right? And that gets the headlines. Type 1 diabetes is also increasing at the same nearly identical rate. So we are, we are seeing, even though it is not the majority, clearly, uh, in number of total patients, we're seeing same rises in patient and in, in the incidence, if you will, of type one diabetes in particular uh, among African-American children. So 
Um, there is a thing in the Philly paper Reese just a couple of weeks ago that was really riveting about it's uh, really affecting, you know, some minorities um, more than others. So there's some, some, you know, challenging uh, rises that are going on in type one diabetes, even outside of what we see in type two. And I, and I think that even let's, needs to speak, we need to speak then to how do you prepare for something like that? How do you prepare for this still growing prevalence of diabetes on both type ones and type twos? And so you were asking earlier, Amber, does, you know, does the money for insulin, you know, the sales of insulin, do they go towards R&D? And absolutely they do, but they also go to manufacturing. And so what we've done over the last couple of years is we've made a $2 billion investment down in North Carolina. Uh, so right now we manufacture, um, uh, we finish uh, diabetes pe uh, insulin pens and other medicines in North Carolina while well, across the street from that uh, uh, manufacturing plant is going to be a new uh, uh, manufacturing plant that will only produce active pharmaceutical ingredient ingredient that's that's the that's the sort of the, the, uh, the foundation of the medicine that we that we sell and so that's going to be that, that's going to be uh, uh, coming online next year Again, it's a $2 billion investment. And that's and at that plant, we're gonna be basically making um, some aglutide, GLP-1, but that could also potentially be converted over for insulin if we need to. And so we're looking at ways of not only making sure that we've got the right pipeline available to meet the needs of people within the US, mm -hmm. but also that we can go get to manufacturing scale because we just know that unfortunately this thing we call diabetes is not gonna go away and it's getting worse. But I think it's yeah. Amber, I'll tell just to fill you in a little more. It's 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 quite interesting. So, um, and also take a moment just to reassure everybody about their insulin supply as well, because I know that's yeah. on everybody's minds right now. But so insulin is main the insulin that you're taking if it's a Nova Nordisk insulin um, in the U.S. is manufactured in Denmark, and in the plant there, it's manufactured. Believe it or not, it's in crystal form, so it's in a powder, um, and then shipped across to Clayton, uh, where then it's, it's what we call a filling plant at this time, where it's basically then constituted, you know, in, into the vial or into the, the pen, whatever it needs, and, and say so manufacture the pins and all those things down there in Clayton. And what, um, what Ken's talking about is that this new, you know, 2.4 billion, I have to correct him a little bit more than, a little more than 2 billion, uh, this plant actually will be able to manufacture the, the, you know, the real active ingredient of currently it's planned, you know, Rebelsis, our oral GLP-1, but also it could be uh, insulin there as well. So, and then from the supply chain perspective, early in this, when we realized that, you know, this was, this COVID-19 was going to be a lot more than we thought, we did everything we could to make sure that our supply chain was in, in strong, uh, in, in strong right. condition. And, shipped over everything we had from Denmark and in case that, that the airlines were, you know, would stop or then we got, we, we had two to three months supply easily right off the bat. But even since then they've made changes in the lines and to increase production. And we are um, very confident that, that there, we will not see any sort of disruption in the supply chain. The only little hiccup sometimes occurs when, um, you know, we have a few warehouses around the U.S. that, you know, there's that are really full of of insulin right now that get to our forward facilities. And then as the individual pharmacies or the regional pharmacies request their whatever they need for their stock, there might be a day or two 
uh, delay just because we've seen a lot of patients that have taken advantage of some of the 90-day supply and some of the early refill uh, relaxation of those those regulations. So um, it we were able to you know make sure we had the insulin, but at, at their local chain pharmacy, it might have taken a day or two uh, to get that in stock. But but rest assured, there's no um, supply chain issue with your with your insulin. I, the, when you said that things are shipped from Denmark, the first thing I thought of was a that's got to be crazy expensive. B what does insurance look like when you're shipping insulin crystals? <laughs> Well, so, you know, the, we've done some miraculous, or not we, but the, there's a team of individuals who that's their, you know, big responsibilities to make sure. And so just from a practicality, we've always flown on SAS, you know, the flights uh, over with the insulin, and they shut down and wouldn't, weren't coming to the U.S., so we had to go other other routes, and it was more expensive, but, you know, we, what are you going to do? We have to, we have to get it here for, for patients, so... Um, yeah, and things and as things start um, returning from a travel perspective, you know, it'll hopefully return to normal from that that response. But we've got we've got plenty of insulin stocked, and um, your patients should not worry about about us uh, not having it there. And I want to end with um, a. I would love to travel, and I can't wait to the day that I can get my <laughs> Subaru and drive as far as I possibly can with gas being a dollar thirty five. But um, the last thing I want to say is. People, I would say the general public doesn't necessarily understand how long it takes from going from a trial into being available to purchase to the public. Again, I've been a part of an insulin trial that was horrible, but it's, it's worked so well for other people. So can you talk about the time frame there and how long it, it takes to get through the FDA and in hopes that maybe we will be able to expedite those processes moving forward as we need uh, yeah. insulin therapies? Yeah, and I'll, I'll try to again be as concise as I can. So, I mean, from early research to the drug cabinet when it's approved, it could take up to 14 or 15 years. I mean, and we're doing things to minimize that time and, you know, do some early research quicker. But let's say once you get into a trial, maybe like you were in, that was what we call a phase three trial. Those are the ones that are required by FDA for approval. It looks at how well the insulin works. It looks at safety. They're, they're very obviously very concerned about safety, dosing, all of those things. They have certain uh, in diabetes and other other diseases and drugs are different. But in diabetes, for insulin, they have certain requirements of length of time that you we have to observe patients in yeah. on the product, minimum six months, and then there's a few that go over, you know a year. So by the time you conduct that trial, you know, get it up and running and get the patients involved and enrolled and have the trial and wind it down. It usually takes easily two to three years to do that, the phase three part. Right. And then you you get all the data together and you get it in the right format for the FDA, which is not easy because they, they want to have, have the ability to go in and look at specific records, you know, if they have a question about your labs or whatever. Uh, that takes usually four to six months and we've really started to figure out how to shorten that ourselves and do it mm -hmm. faster. Then once we send it to the FDA, um, it is one year. Uh, so 10 months that they review and then the other two months are kind of um, just making sure all the documents are in order. So, you know, from the time you're in a trial to when you might see that product approved could be two to three years later. So uh, it's, uh, it's a long process there's a lot of meetings involved in there with the FDA and discussions and 
uh, that go about, I, I've oversimplified it, but um, that's, that's it in a, in a nutshell. And, and I will say, you know, FDA is, um, they're, they're people just like you and me and they're swamped and they're yeah. dealing with, you know, COVID challenges and all that. So all these life things that happen and, you know, can potentially slow down or prolong the, the regular process, but they, they do a, a pretty good job of, of, you know, staying on their, um, staying on target with their, with their reviews and making mm -hmm. sure they get back to you within, within the time. So it's, um, yeah. And we're always looking for ways that we can shorten that because for, you know, if patients, if it's a new therapy that offers a, a real um, breakthrough or a, an advantage uh, that, that patients need, uh, we want to get it out there as soon as we can. Okay. This is, and if you can't say anything to this, I will understand and respect that. And I'll end with this for real is, do you think that there's in your lifetime, Todd, there'll be a cure? So yeah, well for type one, yes. Type two, mm, type two is going to be a lot more challenging because there's a lot more, uh, a lot more involved with genetics. And so, and the reason I can confidently say that for type one, it all, it depends on what you define as a cure. Um, but <laughs> I, I clearly think that, um, what we're learning about, you know, stem cells are going to be here. That's going to work. Um, I think we've shown that it works. The problem there is you still have to worry about the own uh, body's immune, immune system, immune rejection. Um, and so the cure would be when we figure that second piece out, when how do we figure how to trick the, the immune system into thinking that this, uh, this stem cell transplant you got is, is your own and not some foreign right. stem cell. And I'll say that the immunologists and, and that are working on these challenges are really making some pretty amazing advances. So I do. I, you know, you know, is it two years from now, five years? You know, no, probably not. But I do think that that we'll see that. And in the meantime, for me, the the the, the fully closed loop system, which we you know we, we have pretty good pretty good automated systems now, but the fully closed loop system. And then, you know, I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm very excited about, and it's early and I, you know, we, who knows uh, when we start moving ahead in our clinical trials, but we do have a, um, a glucose sensitive insulin, which if you, if you think about it, if you could take a shot of insulin that would lower your glucose enough um, to keep it normal, but not, but stop, yeah, basically yeah. stop working when it got to the point, you know, it was normal and didn't go any lower, that would be life-changing and for me it would be life-changing and so we've got early results back from from our um our, our it's a partnership with another another uh, academic group over in uh, in europe it looks pretty promising so that's our that's our we're putting a lot of research effort into that and and so that would be again not a cure necessarily but it would radically change the way uh, many people who need insulin would or all people who need insulin would you know live so yeah. That we're, we're, we're trying to push ahead for that. So I do think uh, for type one, we have a lot of things to look forward to. Well, thank you for that. That's, I mean, you know, I've been promised a cure for 37 years and <laughs> thankfully I didn't put any money on that. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both so much for taking time and, um, and thank you team Novo really for putting out these resources and everything will be in the show notes. And um, if any other things develop, soon please let me know so i can help get the word out and yeah i need to just emphasize it one more time yeah two two ways to get a hold of if you if you're looking for affordability options two, two ways to get it 
NovoCare.com online or call us at 1-844-NOVO-4ME. And you know what? I should have said this in the very beginning and I'll say in the intro, tell me your titles so everybody knows exactly. Like you, they, you, you, could, you could have been off the street and nobody would know who you are. So Todd, you first. Yeah, so Todd Hobbs, I'm the Chief Medical Officer for Novo Nordisk Care in the U.S. Hi, and I'm Ken Nchowski, um, Title Senior Director of Corporate Communications with Novo, and I work with Todd a lot. So you guys have some serious street cred, and <laughs> you are the, you're the go-to people to answer these questions. So I didn't pull these people randomly out, out of the, the streets. So, well, thank you gentlemen so much, and uh, I'm sure I will stalk you again soon. <laughs> Thanks, Thank you. All right, have a good day. Take care. I really didn't know there were actually that many resources available. And I want to be sure that you know that all of this will be included in the show notes. And thank you, Dr. Hobbs and Ken, for taking time um, to provide these resources. Um, Before I wrap up, I have a few last minute things I'd like to share. Number one, I want to thank the medical community for doing everything they can to help us stay safe. Grocery delivery services for allowing us to stay home. Local restaurants for delivering good food to my door. And fellow advocacy groups for providing valuable resources during this dark time. Thank you from the bottom of my T1D heart. Number two, the mini podcast series featuring brands, services, and organizations, I believe mirror my mission, can be found on the website and all podcast platforms. If you'd like to learn more, please shoot an email to Penelope at diabetesdailygrind.com. And finally, please continue to leave iTunes reviews and love, like, and share all things social media. If you want to contact me directly, I can always be reached at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com and getting a message from you makes my heart happy and keeps the episodes coming. I think that's a wrap. Stay safe, everyone. Cheers to the highs and lows.